You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Today, we have our financial advisor extraordinaire, Damon Sugden from Capital Partners back in the studio. Damon? Good to be back with you, Trent. Mate, what are we talking about today? Well, I thought we'd touch on purchasing property in uh, self-managed super funds because it's a really complex area, but maybe we could just give a, your listeners a bit of a high-level overview of, of how it might be able to happen. Mate, you can give me an overview as well. I'm super interested in that topic. It is very complex, quite legislation-based, a lot of compliance, a lot of cost of that compliance, uh, and there aren't that many entities in the country that assist you with this, especially on a financing side. There are rules around financing too. I'm sure you'll help us with all of that, uh, but let's just kick it off. I'm a, I'm a punter on the street with uh, you know a bit of money in the, in the bank, but more money in my super. How much do you think that needs to be to make it usable and what would be the process of first off setting myself up? Yeah, that's the that's the key question there, and I'll be firstly expressing to that punter that hey, what we're talking about today is absolutely general advice, and mm. everybody needs to seek their own specific personal advice for this to be relevant to them. Because first off, if you're going to be managing your super, you better bloody have good advice. The whole point of super is that it's sort of left to the professionals, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, indeed, and when you start your self-managed super fund, which has been a really popular choice for many people, many families to manage their retirement interests. It, I guess because it has that appeal of allowing you as an investor to have a high degree of control and managing that investment and the decisions that come with that. But obviously, you are also at call to being the, the trustee. You can't be a member and not be a trustee of the fund. So all of those obligations as a trustee, doing the right thing for the members, all falls on you. And that's one role that you can't outsource. You can get a lot of, a lot of help from professional investment advisors, your, your administration of, of, the, of the fund through your accountant, but you can't outsource your obligation as a trustee. The buck stops with you. Exactly right. That, that's, that sums it up perfectly. So but, if, if some big institution uh, you know, loses all your money in your super, or you can come after them. If you lose your money in your self-managed super, you only have yourself to blame. Well, yeah, you, you, you um, and that's the whole appeal of it, isn't Legally, it? You want to be master of your own own destiny yep. and choosing choosing your your selection of investments and how how you run the fund. But what we tend to see is that a lot of superannuation accounts that they maybe come in for some advice, and what have they got? They've got a handful of blue chip Australian shares and term deposits. And I was like, well, okay, well, you could do that in pretty much any retail fund. You may be paying over and above the the odds to administer the fund and run the fund, the obligation of the trustee, and you not utilizing the self-managed super fund for all the powers that it actually has. So you've got to be pretty clear on what you want to achieve rather than just going with the status quo. As I sort of asked before, you need to have a bit of money in the account. You can't just rock up with 50 grand and set it up, right? Yeah. It wouldn't be cost effective. You, it wouldn't be cost effective. And there's various numbers that are bandied around. At one stage, many years ago, I said, oh, $200,000. You, you, you could set it up. But you know, to really get bang for your buck, you're probably looking at the million dollars plus space. Mm. To, to really get that's a bit of money that's a lot like most people wouldn't have a million dollars in their in their super they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, and I guess maybe that's where the appeal of uh, if you're looking at property in that space is the um, you know borrowing arrangements and again that gets complex but we can do a bit of an overview of that today so you yeah, can leverage up and maybe us, get some property in your fund give us an example of how you see someone come through your office say look I want to set up so start right from the start I want to set up a self-made super fund right now I'm with 
just a you know a retail fund. I want to go self-made a super, and I want to get into property. How much do I probably want to have? What's it going to cost me to set up? What's the process? And then later on, I guess we'll talk about the, the risks and the benefits just to cap that episode off. Yeah, sure. So it's it's something that you do need to seek advice on to see if a, a self-managed super fund is right for you, and if property is a good fit for your plan and what you want to achieve over your lifetime with the view of it being your retirement funds. So you're saying not don't just set one up arbitrarily for because your mate has one. It needs to suit your risk profile and what you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. You always start with the end in mind when, you, when you're thinking about investments. Um, yep. it's, it's always tempting to, to chase the hot dollar or whatever the flavor of the month is. Well, guess what? Next month, that's not going to be the flavor. So make sure you go in with your eyes open and you're thinking with the end in mind. In terms of setting up the fund, most people broach this through their accountant. They are the experts in the area in establishing the fund, administering the fund, making sure that you're meeting your obligations in terms of lodging a tax return and financials each year, and the fund is run compliantly because that is also a really complex area. But once you've gone through that process, and the accountant maybe is going to charge a couple of thousand bucks to to do that, there's going to be ongoing uh, administration fees, uh, ASIC fees. If you're running a, a corporate trustee, which is generally a really good idea as opposed to you being the trustee personally just provides a bit of arm's length and efficiency in, in the fund if you do need to change the, the directors or, or members of the fund it's much easier from a corporate trustee point of view so there'll be ongoing ASIC fees to, to run that company as well you mentioned the ability or the opportunity if you don't have a mill in the bank to use leverage um, are there any rules around what you can lend for what you can do with your self-managed super fund property can you mm. develop those sort of things. Those are the questions that I've asked before. Developing is possible, but that is like, are we talking complexity? We're talking about right, the absolute other end of the risk spectrum in terms of developing. Possible, but there's several hoops you've got to leap through first. But maybe we just cover off on on the the more purchase uh, a property yeah, um, let's try at, that. at a basic level. What I know about on a developing side is you essentially need to be arm's length. You can't be the developer. You have to let someone else be your developer and you sort of be the investor, if that makes sense. That's um, right. You can't, you can't develop your own self-made super fund development. But let's stick to, yeah, just a, maybe a passive hold as our... Because people mm. would get into a passive hold as the asset or the main asset within the super because good yield and looking for capital growth, right? Over and above maybe what buying a share in Rio Tinto would afford. Yeah, possibly, possibly. That's the point, right? They, they, they believe more in bricks and mortar than they do in mining. Or a key strategy for business owners, and this is where the self-managed super funds come into their own. Um, a great strategy for business owners is that their self-managed super fund purchases the property that they, they are running the business yeah, from. Yep. And because that property is classed as business real property that allows them to, to, to facilitate that, then essentially their business is paying their super fund rent, which is taxed at a max of 15%. So as it's a very tax-effective way to reside in your own business. It is, and, and you're, you're building equity in your, in your your future, essentially, for your retirement funds. But as to your point, we don't all have a million bucks in super, and that's where borrowing to invest in the property come in handy. But... You've got to utilize what's called a limited recourse borrowing arrangement. And the arrangement can, or the funding can be sourced from either a traditional lender, a bank, or through a related party, through a member of the fund, can actually lend the super fund cash. So if you've got cash outside, so you can lend that to, to the fund. But, so maybe we walk through those scenarios because 
borrowing from a bank, related party to purchase a property can be effective. There's a lot of requirements to do that compliantly though. Um, again, probably beyond the detail of today's discussion, so I'm looking to, to maybe give you a broad overview, but the arrangement for the property has to be purchased under this limited recourse borrowing arrangement, or you'll see it in the press often referred to as the LRBA, the acronym. And it's important that the property is actually, it will be purchased by the super fund, but it's technically held by this separate custodian trust. So it actually sits alongside your self-managed super fund. Sometimes it's called a bear, bear trust. And that is I've heard actually, bear trust. Bear trust is something we've heard before. Yeah, yeah, it's actually the official ownership of the property is in that that bear trust. So the structure sees the, the lender having limited claim on the borrowing, meaning that all the other assets of the super fund aren't at risk in the event of a default on the loan. Are there, I'm guessing not every bank plays ball in this space. What I know is that not many actually do at all. It's getting harder and harder. The, the, the obligations are getting harder. The interest rates are, are, are rising despite the environment just to combat the bank's risk the compliance of lending in, well. in, this, in this space. Yeah, I only and, know of a couple of banks that actually do get into this space. I think Bankwest is one of them. I think Liberty as well dabble in, in lending to right. super funds, but I don't know many others. I'd love to hear from from listeners if there are others and if they do have more experience in this space than, than uh, myself. Yeah, I've also seen sort of LVR is now restricted to a 70-30 split to, yep. to, for, for your valuation ratio, which is maybe also a bit restrictive to what you can get personally. It's more like a commercial lend. It has to be a, a commercial lend essentially in all facets yeah. and to your point before about that arm's length relationship especially if it is a related party you have to have a documented loan agreement so between yourself and your super fund or whoever the, the lender is um, the ATO prescribes a, an, an interest rate as well I think that's sitting about 5.1% yeah. today the written loan agreement and the market rate of rent has to apply it has to be a, a lot a of legitimate. it really is it's, a lot of it's really complex yep. Yep. and and can be restrictive, but if the benefit, say for that business owner, uh, I think there's a the pretty good benefit in that that scenario where you're paying your your uh, retirement fund rent. You're going to be paying it to someone or another entity of yours outside of super, which might be taxed at a higher rate. It could make sense. Oh, and the repayments have to be made on a, a monthly basis on principal and interest terms, which can be a bit onerous as well, which makes it tough and those commercial terms must prevail. But there's different ways we can skin this this cat in terms of the actual structure and ownership of the self-managed super fund owning it. Um, another option is to establish a unit trust. And this unit trust can co-own the property with other investors, which could be related or unrelated to, to the self-managed super fund. So the unit trust actually owns the asset and the other parties would purchase units in the unit trust. So there's a prescribed amount of, of ownership to each party. And this could give a good degree of flexibility in that the units can then be sold between the parties, potentially saving on any stamp duty in well, those those transfers. Or One way that we invest in property with self-managed super funds involved is that uh, you know we'll, we'll do a development uh, that is owned by a company and might, we might call it a capital fund number one, for example, and it'll have shares. Uh, we'll be a shareholder and a couple of our clients might be shareholders. Mm. Now, they aren't actually directly shareholders. They're shareholders as uh, trustees of their super fund. 
And yep. the super fund is the shareholder there. So uh, there's another one that has a family trust that's the shareholder. So they're indirectly, I guess, investing into a property development as a shareholder. They're not the ones mm. taking the loan either, which is which is uh, flexible for them. So it's sort of, a, I guess, a semi-syndicate arrangement where I, th- I think a lot of people do get involved that way is that they'll have a super fund and instead of directly investing in buying property, they'll have their super fund be uh, at more of a tax-effective uh, in- investment vehicle uh, for syndicate stuff, commercial syndicates, yeah, pr- so um, residential property syndicates, things like that. Mechanism for them ha- to have an interest in the, in the underlying development. But they, uh, they need to set up the rules of that of that self-managed super fund from the start though because the interesting thing is it's not that easy you know to just one day i'm investing in shares and the next day i'm investing in property uh, as i understand it there's uh, qu- quite a bit of again faff at the front end of, of this self-managed super fund where you need to have set up rules with that super fund uh, that you have to abide by as the trustee making decisions for your own super fund as if someone is telling you what to do the rule book is established, and that is the trust deed. And that's based on your risk profile assessment and things like that, right? Not so much the trust deed, but the trust deed does have to allow you to enter into such agreements and, and, and investments, but it won't go to the detail of your risk profile. But it is the master and ruler of what you can and can do in Why in do your we super need fund. to have these rules if we're essentially the owner on both sides and we're getting taking the risk and the benefit and we're 100% across what we're doing? Why do we need to have our own rule book to play with? Is that, I guess, to make sure that we've set up our own plan for our super fund and we're not just willy nilly investing things on, like a day trader? The trust deed is probably separate to that. The trust deed is the overall governing rule book of what you can and can't do in super. Drilling down to the investment strategy, you're going to have another document that sits alongside that and should be updated each year, which is going to be your investment playbook. You're going to be explaining your your targeted return, risk you're going to take, considering inflation, considering the insurance needs of each member will also be detailed in that, and your targeted asset allocation. So from the outset, if your intention is to invest in property, you've got to make sure there's an appropriate allocation to direct property in that investment strategy paper but also you need to consider for the other members if i'm just going into one property as a trustee am i then meeting my obligations for them to be appropriately diversified if all of your capital is going to one property you could argue no who's helping us with all this is it the financial planner and the accountant is that pretty much these are the guys that we're leaning on to really guide us through this whole process of transforming our super from uh, industry fund to something where it is flexible enough for Adam, us to make our own astute decisions to invest in property. That, that's a, a great team. The the accountant and the and the financial advisor, if they can work collaboratively to a great outcome for for the uh, the members and the trustee of the fund, you're a step in the right direction. There are businesses as well where you'll have an accountant and a financial advisor in the same business too, right? Would that be of benefit to have them working together, or do you think it's good to have them at arm's length of each other? Yeah, some do. If you're comfortable working in a sort of one-stop shop like that, that's that's great. And it can be convenient because you're going for the one meeting to, with both parties to talk about your your tax and compliance thing. And then you, you're in the same building and even a collaborative meeting would be ideal, uh, which can be coordinated if they're in separate buildings or, or companies anyway. I mean, look, Capital Partners is, is you don't have an accounting arm, right? No, we so, don't. So uh, what's the benefit there of, of having that arm's length situation? We see ourselves as almost conducting the orchestra around our clients, uh, all of their professional advisors. So I think accountants and financial planners have a good idea of what they 
are good at, what they specialize in, and have an understanding that they can't be everything to everyone. And, and nor are we, um, you know, educated to or, or compliantly, can we compliantly act in doing that? So we see ourselves as coordinating the orchestra around all of our clients' advisors. So we're going to bring the accountant to the table, the, the lawyer will be there. The mortgage and, broker, and, and the bank. Absolutely, the, the mortgage broker, the buyer's agent, whoever's expertise we need to get a great outcome. And I'd, I'd hope all, all advisors are working in a similar way. It's good to good to just get a bit more clarity as to where those chess pieces sit for me as uh, even personally as someone who at some point would look into accessing my own superannuation fund as a self-managed super fund. I guess I'm the sort of person personally who will probably want to take that on and have a crack myself too with my own knowledge and my own skills and make it a tax-effective vehicle to invest in developments as well. But again, I think it's such a complex situation that not even, in my opinion, no accountant themselves, no financial planner themselves, no bank themselves have enough of a broad perspective to in isolation advise you you need that whole team around you it's super complex and it's just getting harder every year yeah it really is and it, we were talking about the unit trust before and and all the all the syndicate situation because the the trap there is that you then have to have an entity with its own tax file number you're lodging another set of tax returns and financial each year so the, the complexity the expense goes you up you have to do valuations of that property every year as yep, well absolutely it's full yep. part of your requirements as, as trustee for reporting for the for the fund and the trap in that i guess the unit trust type situations for the the self-managed super fund and the related parties or the members predominantly is that collectively you have a majority of equity in the trust, being the super fund, or if it can be proven that you can exercise significant influence over the trust, it will be deemed as a related party investment. Now, this tripwire means that the self-managed super fund is then restricted to owning no more than 5% of that trust or that investment vehicle. Really restrictive. Mm. 5% just isn't really enough to get your bang for your buck. However, you can structure it as being what's called a non-geared trust, meaning that it can't that separate entity can't borrow or have any charge over the property, can't invest in another entity, so no other shares, can't lease the property or acquire a property from another related party unless it's that business real property that we were speaking about before. So whilst it's all possible, the complexity just ramps right up and you I'll stress again the importance of seeking that collaborative advice from different parties. I think it all starts to get a bit complicated at that point uh, and that's where our professionals are getting involved. Damon, thanks very much for, for chatting about just an intro into activating your self-made superannuation fund. Uh, most of us, again, would just have probably the fund that our employer gave to us back way back then. If it is an option we'd like to look into, especially if maybe we're lacking in the equity on the savings side, but we have a lot sitting there in super. I think first port of call, probably financial planner. Second port of call, your accountant. Third port of call, your mortgage broker and bank to really just start to get a story about, can I do this? How will I do this? And can I get leverage to really uh, to fund this even further? Do you agree? Absolutely. And what's the longer term plan? What's the end outcome at the end of the day? Yeah, the why. We hadn't even spoken about that too much, but I think uh, that's probably in other episodes we've spoken about before anyway. The, the why, I think, in this situation, given it is a riskier opportunity for most people, is probably because you're looking to make that much more profit. The balance of risk and reward, right? Yeah, exactly right. Damon, thanks very much, mate. Speak to you very soon. Cheers, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. 
don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!